Welcome to The Thriving Marriage, the podcast for those who want to get their spouse back in love with them and truly thrive. You'll learn why 95% of people don't save their marriage and the secret method no one else is talking about that will change everything for you. Are you ready? 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 Let's Let's turn turn tragedy tragedy to to triumph. triumph. Here are your hosts, international marriage experts, Mark Johnston and Heather Choate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Thriving Marriage Podcast. My name is Mark Johnston. Good to have you all here. We've been doing this for a long time, these podcasts. We are now on our 176th episode. So, you know, if you're looking for some amount of advice or you're just trying to see, like, maybe uh, what we have to say about relationships, you know, like, this is a great place to start. Uh, I always... You know, I've always envisioned this podcast as a way to, one, give out some good advice and good, some good tips, but two, as a way to get to know, say, myself, my team, and see what we're all about with our services. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about uh, transforming conflict into connection. I know a lot of you out there are dealing with high amounts of conflict in your relationship, and I want to help you turn that around. But before we get to that, I want to go over the client win of the week. Um, This week, we are hearing from Monica. Monica writes that she had a win here. Uh, Monica's saying that he wants to work on a relationship now. And we both agree we have a long road ahead of us to repair and grow from what brought us to the, the brink of divorce. I'm hopeful for our future and grateful for the guidance and mindset help that I've gotten through this course so far. This is the first time since last January that my husband has made any declaration that he's wanted to try. And that's that's great. That's exactly what we are here for. If you guys haven't been listening all that long, that's essentially what we focus on is we are trying to help all of you find ways to to create reconciliation, to turn conflict around. Um, for those of you who are struggling and are close to divorce, that's exactly where we like to help people out is finding all those little solutions that can really add up to some big turnaround in their their relationships that are struggling. Uh, We did ask all of you um, how often you and your spouses are fighting currently. Um, I'm seeing a a big range of answers, either from like every few months, every so often, almost never, um, to things like every day, all day, all the time, it's just all over the place. And you know, I'm thinking of like conflict and what it can do to a relationship. And I'm sure a lot of you are really well aware that it, it can be a big strain. Um, John Gottman, big name in marriage research, he talks about ideals in terms of conflict. And he talks about how for a relationship to do well, there's a magic ratio in terms of interactions, positive to negative interactions. He talks about how there needs to be a five to one, at least a ratio of positive interactions to negative interactions. And certainly, I mean, this is a hard thing to gauge. Certainly, you know, if there is high spikes or really intense arguments and they're happening, you know, every few weeks, we might be within that ratio there, but it still might be problematic. Um, 
I think most everyone would agree that conflict in general, it doesn't feel great. Sure, there are lots of things that need to be probably need to be resolved in any given relationship, but it doesn't generally feel good. Um, it doesn't feel great to have a lot of disagreement and for everything to feel frustrated, and especially when that conflict doesn't lead to any resolution. And my observation is that a lot of times when something like divorce or separation is considered, it's usually because conflict hasn't gone well for some time. It's because solutions to the this conflict keeps getting pushed down. So that's what we want to talk about today. And it sounds like you guys are having to deal with this, uh, some of you quite a bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, some of you all the time, and that's that's got to be frustrating. So what do we do with this? How do we transform conflict into connection? Because that Oddly enough, that sounds odd, doesn't it? I think to begin the conversation, I think it would be ideal to start off with why, why conflict becomes frustrating or how does it come to a standstill? Why, why does it turn into or how does it turn into a problematic situation? Because I, I do want to recognize that not all conflict is bad. I've had I've had fights with my wife. I've had conflict with my wife Jennifer. And and sometimes that conflict actually results in things feeling better. As in we we're able to clear the air, we're able to help each other feel heard. We're able to help resolve some things that have been lingering for a long time. So how or why does it come to a standstill? And how does it get into these unhealthy spaces? Like I'm thinking of some moments within, within my own marriage where the conflict was feeling really especially heavy or really frustrating. I'm also thinking of other relationships in my life where I could say that where the conflict is frustrating, heavy, where it builds resentment. And I think that in those moments, for me, generally, like, it's feeling really frustrating, especially when, like, I feel like I, my, my point of view isn't being considered, when it isn't feeling heard. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, now, this is different for everyone, but it, in my in my experience, in, in my personal life, a lot of times this is when conflict tends to escalate, when it tends to get more heated. And I um, I don't really like those situations in my own life. I know, I recognize that some people are a little bit more comfortable with that heated arguments and uh, taking some really firm stands. And yeah, I'm recognizing that I don't, I don't, myself, I don't always feel com comfortable with that. And it tends to lead towards things like avoidance or not speaking up and then other problems. So like in general though, like that that's me, that's me personally. In general, like what brings conflict to a standstill or what makes it problematic? And I do wanna start off with that, that 
recognition right there. I mentioned avoidance, having ongoing unresolved conflict that just keeps getting pushed to the side. Avoidance can look like a lot of different things. It's sometimes, you know, even both my wife and I might engage in this, where um, we know there's a difficult topic that needs to be discussed, and we kind of dance around it. We kind of kind of talk about it, but we don't really get into the thick of it, and we don't resolve it. And what tends to happen is many in many relationships where there is avoidance is there's a bit of this volcano effect. The conflict is avoided while tension bubbles under the surface until it all explodes at once and it all comes out and it looks so dramatic. I can recall a situation not too long ago where my wife had been holding something back for some time and it all came out in this big display of emotion. She had been feeling a lot of tension in one of her relationships in one of her relationships and didn't feel like there's any way to resolve that that tension. And so she'd just been building it up without saying anything. We also have um, you know, like things that can contribute to some of that avoidance. Certainly, if we have some of these other factors here, it can cause someone who is avoidant to be more avoidant. Like if there's dismissiveness. If certain views are continually pushed down, this might look like someone like, and I'll be honest, I'm, I was guilty of this a little bit myself the other night with my daughter. Um, now you guys might all feel like this is maybe reasonable, but my daughter was crying and just crying and crying. Uh, she's eight years old and you know, she wouldn't speak to me. And eventually, you know, I, I got it out of her what was wrong. And she's saying she didn't want to wear long pants. We were going out and it was cold out. She didn't wear want to wear long pants. She didn't like the way that they looked. And there's all this emotion over this. And I, I pushed that down. I was like, that is not a reason to be upset. And I told her, you need to get dressed. This is this is unacceptable to be making this big of a deal. And many of you might be saying, yeah, that's right. But I, I'm recognizing right now that this was a dismissive stance. It's these ones where we say what someone else is experiencing is not valid. That it, there's no understanding or empathy for how they might feel. Um, we encounter things like this. You know, sometimes I see this in affair situations where they say, I've been on, um, you shouldn't be upset with this. Our marriage has been falling apart for years. Here's some dismissiveness of someone else's feelings. But it, it really kills some ability to resolve conflict as someone's point of view is shut down. This is very much related to defensiveness. I, I see defensiveness as justification to not resolve concerns. I was I was a bit defensive there, as you know, like, um, you know, like I'm looking back at my interaction with my daughter, and she she had some blame towards me, and she's like, "Well, you didn't help me pick the pants out," and I was like, 
look, I, I was busy. You, you can do it yourself. This is not a reason to, to get upset. It was a justification to not resolve her concern. Now, I will, I will say I did read Dean myself. And when I looked at what she was complaining about, like that she didn't get some help that she was looking for. I was able to, to go and resolve that situation. I, I know this isn't as big of a deal as maybe some of the things that you guys are dealing with, but like it's this defensiveness and dismissiveness. It's all about kind of pushing down or this justification why I do not need to listen to someone else. And it creeps into our conversations because, you know, as we say, well, I'm justified here. Why should I have to accommodate this other person? I've, I remember a client even earlier this week, they're saying, you know, my wife is asking for openness and I've been open. Why do I have to continue to try and resolve this issue? And yet that sort of statement is some justification to not explore further. It's a way to push other, other concerns aside as we are focused more on defending ourselves. And because of that, it kills this ability to resolve conflict because here is this concern that still exists even if you are justified in defending yourself. Oftentimes this dismissiveness or defensiveness, people shift that into some escalation. They, the tensions rise without some resolution. If, if you are defending yourself or you're dismissing my point of view, then I need to escalate it and I need to fight harder and I need to get angrier and I need to get more upset or more sad or more emotional. Then you will listen to me, the escalating person might say, maybe not consciously. But even that can really frustrate solutions, especially with people who are a little bit more uncomfortable with emotion. I've talked to many people who say, I don't know how to keep my ground to, yeah, to keep my ground when someone else is getting, is escalating the conversation. I don't know how to speak up for myself. I don't know how to think clearly when someone else is so upset. And so then they, the person that's not escalating it as much feels shut down a bit and not heard. I mean, we can go over and over again, like all these little things, like one last one I want to add is this idea of contempt, where defensiveness is justification to not resolve concerns. Contempt is blame, which results in justification to not resolve concerns. I, I hear this in some, some relationships. They say, well, they're just being greedy. They're just being manipulative. They're just being selfish. Why do I need to listen to them? And to hear that contempt and that blame shuts down the conversation. I see all these things over and over and over again. And it's what eventually leads to the option or the consideration of divorce. If people keep feeling like the conflict is being shut down or isn't going anywhere productive, they start saying there are no solutions here. The individual who says, I'm not feeling heard, I'm not feeling, I'm not being loved, I'm not feeling considered, and they keep trying to approach this, and they're either dismissed, or their spouse is defensive, or it gets escalated, or things are avoided, 
solutions keep getting shut down and so, until there's no alternative option except for divorce. I'm thinking of like one particular couple that I'd worked with recently and some, some time ago. And in this case, I was working with the, the husband and he would say, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to resolve a lot of these things. And when I looked at his, when I looked at some of their communication, I, I, I noticed that even though he was trying to resolve some concerns of his wife's, what was creeping into the conversation was a whole lot of defensiveness. She would bring up concerns and he would say, well, why is this a concern? I'm, I'm doing what you're asking me to do. Why do we keep having to fight about this? It was, it was this focus on himself and why he was not to blame in these situations. And sure, he was taking action. He was trying to resolve this concern, but by creating some defensiveness, it didn't allow the conversation to come to any resolution. And this is the heart of the matter. Conflict, poor conflict, conflict that creates a, a lot of distance, the, the opposite of connection. It's all, uh, the heart of the matter is that it's about unresolved requests. In all these things, in all these the examples that I've given, people, the two people are wanting things. And it seems like those, those desires are at, at odds with each other. And that's why conflict comes about. The reality is though, that healthy conflict can create ways for people to actually grow closer together. One of the things I really love about my own marriage, it's not that we don't have conflict. It's that I feel like I can go to my wife, that there can be conflict, and that um, that it can that we can actually work through it. That um, you know, like the conflict results in some transformation. Um, at the, so at the heart of all conflict are requests that are being communicated perhaps sometimes in unhealthy ways. And so to create the some connection from all this conflict, there are some certain things that need to be recognized, certain things that need to be done to transform it. If you want to change conflict into connection, I do think that there needs to be space for each person to have these requests, these unresolved requests considered and accommodated in, in some ways. I'm seeing some comments. Um, Lisa is asking, "What can you do to not uh, not to escalate when it seems they they don't hear you?" And um, no, I, I'm liking that question. Like, here's Lisa asking, "Hey, yeah, I'm recognizing that things are escalating, and part of it is because you're not feeling heard." So I have some. I have some thoughts on this. And I, I think a, these thoughts should actually help resolve any of these different problems with conflict. 
So I have a few steps, four steps. Yeah. Um, as usual, I'm, I'm going to kind of give the <laughs> the disclaimer here that this is not an exhaustive conversation on conflict by any means, but I think that these are good tips that should help move the conversation along. So I do think that step one in any conflict is to identify the requests that are being made. And I think where a lot of people get stuck with this, the most common mistake is by confusing means with ends. I hear all the time, like, I'm saying, okay, well, what does your spouse want? And I, this might be a really troubled situation of a huge crisis is going on. And my client will say, well, my, my partner, they want a divorce. And that's a, that's a mistake. Um, and confusing means with ends. Divorce is not an end goal. People aren't getting up at, in the morning and saying, yeah, you know what? I think divorce is a good idea. I think that's what I want to accomplish with, with my life here. Like divorce, as an as an example, is a means to accomplish something that is wanted, whether that's freedom or respect or excitement or passion in their life. It's a means to an end. And so I think a lot of people get stuck as they're trying to figure out what's wanted by stopping the conversation there by saying, okay, well, they want more money or they want a divorce. They want a separation, whatever it happens to be. But these are all things that allow for other goals to be accomplished. Discussion can come to a halt if people get stuck on specific solutions. And not only enough, I think a great place to start is by discussing the desired emotions that are behind these requests. Like, I want to feel more respect in our conversations. I want to feel, I want to feel connected. I want to feel. I want to feel like I matter. These are all, I think, great places to start that. Even like, even when I'm looking at motivation for divorce, I'm seeing that underneath of it is a lot of these emotions. And I mentioned some of them just a moment ago. I want to feel free and I want to feel excitement and I want to feel passion and I want to feel loved. And the divorce is one way to accomplish this. You might even take something more mundane, like I want more money. And that's nice, but I think a lot of people could identify that there's some emotion underneath of this. I want to feel some relief from financial pressures. I want to feel less stress. I want to feel some more freedom with my spending. And it's a great place to identify those underlying um, emotions. Sometimes we can be a little bit more specific. Like, I want to feel like things are equitable or things are fair. But even that is like, it, it's just a start for the conversation. I, why I'm being a little bit general in, in like starting the conversation with emotions is because if you're trying to turn this conflict into some connection, there needs to be step two, some choosing some flexibility. Where are you willing to be flexible? Where can you create accommodations for your partner? If you want to feel heard, if you wanna feel some excitement, how are we accommodating your partner with that? Maybe excite, like really exciting activities scares them. Maybe it can be really nervous to have a little bit more financial freedom and have less structure around spending. 
how are we helping them in having some agreement here? And where are you giving them some choices that allow them to accomplish their own goals within like this framework? And how are you willing to show up to engage in solutions that work for both of you? A very frequent concern that comes up within marriages is the uh, conflict around sex. The stereotype here is like the husband or the, the male is wanting more sex and the, he's saying, I'm, I keep getting turned down. And this might not be your specific case. Doesn't matter the gender here, but uh, if that's like a goal and you're saying, I want to feel more connected in a physical way, how are you then helping that be a great situation? And you might even say, well, why do I need to make it a great situation? Shouldn't they want sex too? And you might say, well, there's probably some factors that play into this that drive down some desire. Maybe they're feeling, your partner's feeling overwhelmed. Maybe they are feeling stressed, like they have lots of responsibilities. How can we accommodate those things so that it's easier for them to show up for what you are asking for? And how might they make some choices around that? I know many couples who say, okay, like, I want there to be, we'll keep using this example, I want there to be more sex. And they find some solution because they might say, and, you know, I want to make sure it's comfortable for you. So, you know, like, when is a good time for this to be in our relationship? What time of day, what time of the week? Um, how might I support you in preparing the, the environment for this? Can I set some candles? Can I make dinner? Things like this. These are all things that you might offer, you know, as you're willing to show up to engage in solutions that work for both of you. And if you're trying to turn conflict into connection, you can't just simply tell people what you want. You have to be willing to accommodate and bend a little bit. I can't just go to my wife and say, you better have more sex with me or else that creates a situation where this kind of sense of control or demands come in and it can easily turn into a situation where my this in this hypothetical situation where my wife might not feel heard and if you are going to say no to some of your partner's solutions then you need to clearly communicate where you are willing to say yes in this same example you know, we'll keep going on the sex example. If, you know, hypothetically, my wife were to say, no, I'm not going to have more sex. Okay, well, then there needs to be some conversation about where she's willing to say yes to make this work well. Can we increase some of our intimacy in other ways? Can we increase our connection in other ways? And these are some of the things to consider. Uh, step three is about creating clear boundaries. So sometimes there are very specific lines that you're not willing to cross, and I think that needs to be communicated. Other times there needs to be boundaries to protect your partner, the relationship, or others who are important to you. I'm thinking of a specific case where there's a blended family, and there's a lot of concern around protecting the children versus building the relationship. 
And in that case, like boundaries are very much about priorities and like, what am I protecting first? At the same time, like boundaries can seem very limiting if like I'm focused on protecting the children. I do think that there needs to be avenues or ways ways out. Not that we need to like accommodate some situation where the, these hypothetical children are feeling uh, compromised, but like, you know, if someone is wanting to, you know, in this situation where there's a conflict between building a relationship versus protecting the children, where can we build the relationship, even if we are prioritizing protecting the children? This is about drawing those lines, not just to say where are their limits, but to say where where are we giving the green light as well. And I think that it's a matter of honesty to openly communicate your boundaries and what are your limits and what is not going to feel healthy. The alternative is to allow for yourself to engage in agreements that don't work for you, resulting in resentment and bitter feelings. And you do no one favors by not expressing those lines that you don't want to cross. All it does is create conflict down the line. Step four is about creating plans for follow through. One of the problems that comes up is all the talk around solutions while not creating enough follow through. And this can be just as frustrating or sometimes worse than creating no agreements whatsoever. And I'll say that sometimes I have been guilty of this where I'll say, yeah, you know, I think this is a good idea. And then quietly go about doing nothing on this agreement that I might have agreed to. It's a strategy of avoidance that I'm agreeing is sometimes not a good thing that I engage in. And I know a lot of other people are in a similar boat. But you can avoid a lot of this by discussing very clear expectations for everyone involved as you are creating better connection around conflict. I think a good guideline is using SMART goals. It's an acronym. Stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. So specific as they shouldn't be vague. The goal shouldn't be vague. The, the follow through shouldn't be vague. Like, I'm going to listen more. It should be like, hey, we're going to have conversations on Friday. Measurable, there should be a way to look at actions being taken and see that something's actually happening. Not, you know, you know we're going to have these specific conversations on Friday and it's going to be happening once a week for the next three months. That, that's something that's very measurable. If you don't attend these hypothetical conversations, then you can measure that it's not happening. Attainable, we shouldn't set some goals that can't be attained. I hear sometimes in business goals, something like, hey, we're going to increase our revenue 100 times. Is that really attainable in the time frame that you're setting? In marriages, it might be, you know, you might need to consider attainable goals saying, hey, we're going to reconcile and everything's going to be better next week. Is that attainable? Or might it need more time? Relevant, as in the goal should be <laughs> actually do something to resolve the conflict. And timely, is you might want to give some time limit to accomplishing these goals. And I think in general, if you stick to those guidelines, you can look this up. This is not my own method here. If you look up SMART goals, this is a good place to start as we, you are creating some follow through. So this is, this is how we turn it into to connection. 
a lot of this, you know, whether we are identifying the requests or we're choosing some flexibility or you're drawing some clear boundaries and creating plans for follow through, a lot of it is about getting conflict out in the open and getting it resolved. It's about taking the requests that people are wanting instead of pushing it down or pushing it aside or saying that it's not important or my thing isn't more important than yours. It's about allowing it to flow. And people are always gonna be drawn to situations where their requests can feel heard, considered, or where there can be action taken on it. So really it's, it's just all the same thing along the spectrum. If conflict is only there because there are unresolved requests, the connection is created as those requests are able to flow and for things to feel achievable, that the relationship makes things easier. That's when true connection starts to happen. So with that said, I wanna move on and, and we're gonna discuss the marriage myth buster. We'll finish up for the week. Uh, our marriage myth buster this week is reconciliation, means going back to the way things were. And I hope all of you, if you've been listening to this at all, to myself or my business partner, Heather, you got to understand that this is a myth, um, but we do hear it a lot. We hear it an awful lot, especially from those partners who are considering divorce, the people who are avoiding reconciliation. In fact, I would go so far as to say this is actually the nightmare of all those who say they don't want to reconcile. There's a reason people consider divorce, and a major contributing factor is this idea that the relationship might go back to the way it was. And anyone who's unhappy in their marriage wants things to change, usually in some radical way. So to me, reconciliation is about finding all those things that need to change rather than trying to bring things back to the way they were. If anything, a talk of reconciliation and bringing it back to the way things were is a situation that will result in problems down the line. I think of nine times out of 10. So please, please, please do not have that conversation around reconciliation, making claims that you want things to go back to the way things were. That is, that's a dead end. That's a, that's a dead end road there. Do not go down that road. So next time we are going to discuss um, unlocking intimacy, reigniting that flame, that spark and saving your marriage. So if you have had some trouble bringing intimacy back in, we'd like to talk about that with all of you. Uh, so please <laughs> check us out next week as well. And we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to The Thriving Marriage, your A to Z blueprint for not just surviving marriage, but thriving. Until next time, my friends, thrive on.